Hello. Welcome to a special episode of Waldman's Words. And by special, I mean how we're doing things moving forward. First and foremost, Matt Depani, Matt Depani, however you want to pronounce it, it's okay with me, of the band The Mowgli's. We recorded an episode with him a few weeks ago, and this is the very first time that the three of us are doing an intro together but separate. Yeah. What's up, guys? Finally. Seriously. We had to fight. We had to hustle to get in these intros. This used to be Emily's domain. You know what? I'm I'm happy to relinquish some of my time to you guys because I've been using it as social justice three Ah. minutes. Uh, which I will continue to do so, but yeah, I, you know I like I like talking with other people. It gets kind of uh, it gets kind lonely. of sad. Yeah, all, sitting alone by yourself. Oh, get a little lonely. Well, we're here. We're excited. We'll keep it on the social justice track. We'll totally do that. Adobe loves that. But well, let's talk about Matt Depaney. He was awesome. We're very conservative here on Waldman's words. Very every day the same. We vote for George Bush Jr. That's how we feel. But Mr. Matt Mowgli, actually, I was kidding. Yeah. Matt Mowgli and I met with Emily Burke, actually, at a bar. I believe it was yeah. in West Hollywood, where we were actually trying to get some of our clients involved with their animated show because Matt is a hyphen. In addition to being a musician, songwriter, bass player for the Mowgli's. He's also a producer on a amazing cartoon called Battle of the Bands with Hunter Alison Lockhart. That's right. That's so cool. I agree. And you just saw him at the bar and you were like, hey, you look like a rock star. And he was like, hey, you look like a rock star. And he didn't look like a rock star because he had like a heroin needle in his arm. He looked like a rock star because (laughs) he rocked. (laughs) Yeah, like exuded. That's what I meant, man. Like the vibes of a rock star. Heroin needle. God, God. <laughs> we have different definitions of rock star. For real. This, this just shows, I guess, our age divide, man. <laughs> but when I realized that Matt Mowgli was uh, from the same hometown as me, I was like, uh, do I have a little bit of a crush on you right now? And the answer is yes. Yeah. But yeah, you will, so, too, after you hear his voice, so. Yeah, getting into the episode, we did talk a lot about the Valley, because we're all Valley kids, minus Scott. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> we talked a little bit about the Mowgli's. Uh, we talked a lot about festival circuits, which uh, RIP are not happening this year, but for good reason. And we also talked about his time working with Battle of the Bands and what's going on there. And there's been a lot of movement uh, as of these past couple of days with that. Uh, leading up to this episode. So we're very excited about it. And we really just felt that this was very good first episode to start talking to each other post recording it. When did we record this? I believe it was recorded like three weeks ago, or maybe even more. It was sometime mid May. May? We're always a month ahead. Yeah. Well, remember, we took two weeks off uh, in solidarity with the uh, black community. You are correct. It was May 20th. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah, really. But good, because we're smart. But exactly, the world has changed a lot since then. So it's good to record these now. Yep. And I don't know. A month from now? I don't know how well we're doing for time, but I can tell you that you can tune into this episode and every single episode of Waldman's Words on Tuesday nights, 5 p.m. Pacific time, which is also known as Woodland Hills time. 8 p.m. Eastern Time, which is also known as Long Island Time, rerunning bright and early on Sunday mornings, 5 a.m. Pacific Time, not going to do a joke, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, not going to do a joke. When he says no joke, he means no joke, people. Yeah. That's well, the- we have like 30 seconds left of this intro, so Jed or Scott, anything you need to get out in 30 seconds to, uh, yeah. to introduce this Matt episode? Oh, introduce the Matt episode, absolutely. But we got 30 seconds for social justice. You guys, our generation and the generation beneath us, we're going to tear it all down. Don't even worry. We're going to take care of this. Yeah, anarchy, anarchy. Anarchy. No, No, you're one of us, Scott. You're in. Don't worry. I don't need to know anymore. 
So stick no. around for Waldman's word with Matty Boom Patty. Hello, welcome to another pandemic with Panny episode of Waldman's Words. We've got Matthew DePanny from the Mowgli's on, and as always, Emily Burke and Jed Fuchs. What up, everyone? Hey. Oh, Hi. that was so clever, Scott. Damn it, that was good. I, I didn't Matthew DePanny, come that. on. I didn't pan me at that out, you know? I just went with it. Went with my gut. Hey, All man. right, everyone, everyone get it out now. Even the best laid pans, am I right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, Scott's always got the dad jokes going on now. Oh, yeah. It won't stop. Oh, yeah. And if you know that, you know Scott Waldman. But we're here to get to know you, Mr. DePanny. Yeah. Thank All you for right. jumping on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. We are stoked. Uh, I, I, I think it's like just a case of small world. And instead of going into, you know, what got you into music first, I'm going to do what I used to do long before Jed was a part of the show and say, how did we meet? Oh, how did we? Oh, so we met um, because of this cartoon that I'm working on, right? I think this is how we met. Yep. Um, yeah, we've been, I've been working on this cartoon called Battle of the Bands with my friends Alisoon and Hunter. And you knew Hunter, I believe. And uh, we've been just talking to you and uh, trying to make animation happen with some cool music going on. And uh, I know some of some of your clients have been getting involved. And yeah, we we met because of animation, which is weird because we're in music. I know. I've never never said that before to anyone. But yeah, basically, Hunter is a client of a really good friend of mine, Brian Goldberg, who actually is the main reason why I even have a show in Adobe because he referred me to Adobe. So Brian Goldberg makes things happen. And I met Hunter um, and Alisoon. And actually, Hunter and I had a nice bite and hung out. And I got other Hunter from AFI involved and 18th and Addison involved. And now we talk semi-regularly, and I got to see you perform, actually. That's where I met Hunter when you were on tour with the PWTs and on uh, New Politics. Yeah, that's right. You were at the LA show. That was uh, one of the better shows on that tour. Well, you're For welcome. some reason, that show ran smoothly, and yeah, it's, it's because you were in the audience. Ah, uh, duh. I know. Yeah. I was a runner. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm the outsider here because we've got three people from the 818 and me, basically. Yeah, so I'm yeah, like, yeah. 818 forever. You you could scold yeah. me for being from Long Island, but we have smarter people. But basically, with you, uh, <laughs> I, I was about to say, like you have smarter people, but the valley, you know, I'm 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 putting it down, and this might be generalizing. There's a lot of Jewish people in both those areas. Yeah, yes, there are. <laughs> I think we're exactly. about Yeah, but there's more in Long Island. Anyway, so back to Matthew. Ma- sure. I said back to Matthew. But basically, <laughs> your father, I just found this out. He worked in 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 the film business, correct? So tell me about yeah. your upbringing. Um so my dad used to work for 20th Century Fox. Uh geez, he started in the 70s and retired from there early 2000s, I believe. He was a projectionist and head of the projection department when they still needed a projection department now that everything's gone digital. Um, Yeah, but he was one of the last projectionists that worked there. I think they only have one person now, and that person's probably employed by Disney. Um, (laughs) But I I grew up on the 20th Century Fox lot, basically. like We lived in the Valley, but summers were going to the studio lot, taking the golf cart out and kind of roaming around and seeing uh, the in and outs of the film industry and like meeting people that were famous that I didn't even know were famous. Like the the number one thing that I, I tell people is I met Robin Williams, but had no idea who he was. Uh-huh. Um, and like he was just walking by and like he, him and my dad knew each other because my dad would, it, his job basically was to show films to executives and actors and and run dailies and things like that. And this was at the time when Robin Williams was making that movie Toys. So they were filming everything on on the Fox lot. And like my dad's like, hey, this is Robin. And I was like, cool. 
uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm like six. I, I don't really know, you know? And, uh, and then I look back on it and I'm like, holy shit, I met Robin Williams and I didn't even know. Like, and, but that's just stuff that like my dad, his job, like it, it got me like to meet these people and like just to see the inner workings of the film industry. I have Pretty a crazy harder. Uh, do you want to hear about me or my wife first? Because it's your really wife. Cool. I, I like you, but I don't know much about your wife. So let's hear about your wife. Okay. So she's from LA and her father is a doctor. And there's a picture of her as like maybe like a five or six month old in Ted Danson's arms. And oh, wow. <laughs> you know, she has no clue that he's Ted Danson. She might be like pooping. So that's my. <laughs> I, I hope she was actually. Me too. Yeah. Cheers. And so. Much better story. <laughs> But for me, I'm trying to think like as a six year old, like I would have known who Robin Williams was, uh, but I wouldn't have been as excited if I like ran into like Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant. That would be. <laughs> Scott doesn't bring it up, but he's a big wrestling aficionado. I, oh, I, 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 I think you've say, mentioned it before. Well, from, from yeah. when I was really little until I'd say like middle of high school. And then I sporadically watched, uh, but I, I know a lot about like 80s to late 90s wrestling trivia. Anyway, enough oh, yeah. about me. So <laughs> what music was playing in your household? Because when I think of the Mowgli's, I think kind of like a modern take on like the Laurel Canyon scene. Yeah, I, I was definitely raised um, with a lot of like basically every Sunday my dad would clean the house and he would turn on a different record. Um, and it would, I would wake up to whatever that was. And a lot of the times it was, first off, it was a lot of like Led Zeppelin and then Pink Floyd, but then he kind of just started branching out and listening to more singer songwriters. And then like a lot of mamas and the papas were happening. And occasionally he would, uh, appease my mother and put on a Barry Manilow record. But, um, there, there was just such an eclectic amount of music happening in my house that I was never pinned down to liking one genre. I just, I, I just started liking everything, and uh, until about high school, when I realized that I only wanted to listen to punk music. But <laughs> and then, and then that changed after I got out of high school. But, um, but yeah, Weird, it, it, right when you hit high school, huh? Yeah, shocking that I that I wanted to rebel and and listen to something different. <laughs> oh yeah, and as a fellow Woodland Hills Calabasas punk, I mean, I continued in your tradition. Yeah, that I mean, we had, we had a kid. just saying like, <laughs> Calabasas punk. punk. <laughs> You I know, know. I, I would get scolded because I, I like got into crust punk for a little while and we oh, had a group yeah. of like actual like crust punk people that b- really believed in anarchy and everything, which is hilarious because I think a lot of them now are like lawyers and, and doctors. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But I would like try to start fitting in. The crust punks yeah. walking around the commons in Calabasas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those, those were my people. And like I tried to fit in with them, but they were always like, dude, you are not punk enough to be with us. And oh. at the, well, at the end of the day, they were right. Now? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well you know, so when you're listening to that music growing up, did you pick up the bass guitar first? What was your first instrument aside from the recorder? I, uh, well, yeah, because everyone had to learn the recorder in elementary school. Um, I I actually picked up guitar first. I just started getting interested because uh, years and years ago, my dad used to play guitar and bass, and he regrets to this day. But he he had like Hofners and Rickenbackers, and he sold them all to like buy a motorcycle and move out to the West Coast. But um, so I kind of felt like it was in my blood to to want to play music. So when I was ten or eleven, my parents bought me my first Fender Squire starter pack guitar. That was my um, which, sunburst. Which I actually, under my desk right now, is the 10-watt amp that came with that. I still have it. It still sounds like garbage, and it's awesome. Um, but yeah, guitar came first, and I promised my parents I would get lessons. That was the number one thing. And to this day, I have still not taken a lesson. <laughs> oh, um, wow. I learned everything by just listening. Everything was by ear, and then like, all of my friends at the same time were were picking up music as well and just coming over to my house and being like, this is a power chord. This is a bar chord. Here's here's all the major scales, minor scales. I was like, 
this is cheaper and better to yeah. learn to learn with my friends and be feel more know. comfortable. And somehow your parents are still upset with you. They're I still mean, like, they're when always, are you going to take those lessons? They're really? always going to be upset with me for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've gotten to know you and I could see why they're upset with you. No, it's understandable. <laughs> I'm, I'm an asshole. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm a nice guy. You're a nice guy. Um, I'm all right. So, but what what were you playing? And I mean, were, was your first band some cross punk band called? Actually, my first band we never even had a name, and we only played one show. And at the Cobalt? it was mostly no. It was actually I wish it was at the Cobalt because I saw so many shows there as as oh. a kid. But um, it was actually uh, where did we play? There, there. Okay, so this is it's now a Starbucks. But it used to be the Village Coffee Roaster at the El Camino Shopping Center. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they, they used to, to do like, <laughs> no, yeah, you're, you're from Long Island. You don't, you don't get to pretend for that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, they used to do like Monday night open mic nights, and uh, my, all of my friends were working there, so they were just like, "Have your band come play." And it, my band was terrible. It was like two original songs that were really bad and then Pink Floyd and Metallica covers. Yeah. Um, so just hearing someone say El Camino shopping center, like sent a shiver down my spine. <laughs> <laughs> that like, was, I feel uh, like that, I never that. hear it out in the wild, you know, you don't know. Starbucks. Ugh. Yeah, it is. Wah, the crust punk in me is not happy about it. <laughs> so you go on stage, you're like, what's up with a band with no name. You've got two guitarists, two drummers, and two accordionists. 18 bass players. Yeah, basically. 18 bass players. Yeah, I mean, I I played guitar in that band. I didn't even start playing bass until I was like 14 or 15 years old. Oh. So you were really young then. Okay. Yeah, I was probably like, yeah, I was probably like 12 or something like that. Maybe I don't even know anymore. And then that was your impetus. That was when you caught the bug. You were standing up there. You are like, I am the shit. And this is what I was meant to do. Interestingly enough, I I did feel like it was something I wanted to do in that moment. And if I remember correctly, I actually played that show. I had the flu and I still (laughs) played that show. And I was like, if I can get through playing a 30 minute set this sick, I could probably (laughs) be on tour forever. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. That was you it. You caught the bug, literally. I probably gave the bug to some people that day, too. Thank <laughs> COVID. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, all pre-COVID, baby. But we're not talking about the pandemic. We're hey. talking about you. So you Whoa. take the next you take Whoa. the next steps. Did you ever start to like branch into other uh instruments or yeah, like did you ever try to like write crust songs on your acoustic guitar with two strings? Um, yeah, I mean, there are definitely some recordings somewhere um, from like when I first bought a Mac and had GarageBand and thought I was a, a real producer. Um, and so I'm sure there's some recordings somewhere of really terrible punk songs that don't last longer than 25 seconds and me like screaming at them. Hell yeah. Um, but I, I actually started venturing sooner. Soon after that, I started venturing into like heavy metal and hardcore music and that's kind of where I, I, I still write that music. Like I have a, a whole album that I'd like to put out at some point that I call heavy metal therapy oh. where um, I, I did this for a while and I started doing it again during this, this pandemic where I would wake up every morning and this was when I still had writing sessions that were coming through and like writing pop songs and working yeah. with other artists. But I would wake up every morning and write like a four or five minute, like epic metal hardcore doom song so i could get that all out of my system to then go into sessions with people and be like all right let's talk about love let's talk about family let's <laughs> let's, let's let's create content that everyone wants to listen to and not you know tune our, our instruments to drop b and see what happens you know yeah, right. your system, man you play the heavy yeah shit. had to uh but you're i love it you're from an area where you know there was a lot i mean la is the birthplace for a lot of hardcore and a lot of heavy music. So were you going to shows and seeing bands in this like subculture? Constantly. I mean, like you, you had mentioned the cobalt and like, that was, that was like the breeding ground for everything for me. I, I would go there 
there were some summers that I was going every day, seven days a week and seeing whatever bands were there. And, uh, and then it started branching out into like finding those bands that were touring a little bit more. And so I would like catch a ride, go to the Troubadour, see Poison the Well, go see Every Time I Die. I think I saw like, I think I saw like Hope's Fall open for Coheed and Cambria at the Troubadour once. And I was like, what are these bands? What, what is, what did I just walk into, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, the the Valley started that, the LA scene started that for me, and it just I caught that that bug real quick, and I've been running with it ever since. And tell me when you started running and the story of the Mowgli's, because that's how I know who you are. And well, I know who you are through actually being a person, not being a band guy. But right. I've been I've been you know, very aware of the Mowgli's for a long time. And you even told me you were aware of Lido beach, which makes me really happy. So. Yeah. I, I remember Lido beach. Damn. That takes me back. Um, so yeah, the Mowgli's I, I grew up with pretty much everyone in that band. I guess when we formed that band, pretty much everyone in that band I grew up with now, we don't have all those same members and things have shifted a little bit, but um, right. I went to middle school and high school with, four of the band members or three of the band members that are still currently in my band. Um, and we just, yeah. In like 2009, we were sitting outside of a friend's house in the Valley and they just started playing some songs and being like, this is something we're working on. We kind of want to start a band. I want to do this stuff. And I was just playing acoustic with them and hanging out. And then I think like a week after that, they called me and they were like, we need a bass player and there's no bass players. And I was like, well, you're in luck. I know how to play bass and I like it a lot. So we sat in a garage and from 2010 to 2011, we just sat in a garage in in Woodland Hills, actually, and wrote as many songs as possible. And uh, one of the guys actually came to us and he was like, I wrote this song. I was just up in San Francisco and I wrote this song and I was like, this is the one, man. Like, let's sit down and, and do this. And that's when we all sat down together and we're like, all right, this is, this is a song called San Francisco. Let's see what we can do with this song. And that's really where it started blossoming. The inspired San Francisco. Yeah, honestly enough. I mean, we, we even did a thing. um, We created our own record label in, in 2010 and, you know, no money because that's, it's a record label. And, um, we just started throwing festivals on our own. It was called the collective CA is what we did. And we were, we were doing a couple festivals a month. We, we used to take over this venue called the dragonfly. I don't know if you guys remember that place. One of my okay. first shows yeah. that I saw was the spasmatics who eventually played my wedding. They played the dragon. Oh, nice. Sunday night. Yeah, they had like a residency there. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah, we would, we would take over that venue on a, on a Monday night because no one was booking the Dragonfly on a Monday and they needed something to happen. So we would throw a festival where we would take the main stage and the second room that they had there and we would put almost like 10 to 15 bands on and like alternating stages like Warp Tour style. And uh, we would also bring in like live painting. We would bring in food trucks, all this stuff. And we, that's how like the band really started moving in the LA scene. We just did it on our own. We didn't have anyone giving us advice. We didn't have anyone saying, you have to do this, do this. It was just, let's throw festivals and let's be the band that plays at the end of the festival. And all the other bands can come up and join us. Cause most of those people, they were all our friends. They, they knew our songs. We'd been, harassing them with all this music for so long so it's just like this culmination at the end of a festival night where the Mowgli's played and at any given point there could be there's already eight band members at that time but then like 12 to 15 people would be on stage like banging drums and screaming into microphones like it just became this thing where the Mowgli's was like the main event at the end of the night and everyone and we always wanted people to know like they were all included there was no reason for anyone to not think that they right. weren't a Mowgli. Like this is for everyone. Uh, that's the best thing I've ever heard. Hashtag we are all Mowgli's. Yeah. Uh, bro, you are blowing my mind right now. I was in that area at that time. I totally heard about the collective CA. 
And yeah, I was like, man. too young and uncool to like attend or like didn't know <laughs> how to, you know, not realizing that you were the coolest dude ever. And I could have been a Mowgli this whole you, time. Ever. You were starting a movement and you were there. You just didn't even know it. I didn't even realize, bro. You and I are like one step away, like one Kevin Bacon degree away from each other. <laughs> but isn't that funny? Like, oh, yeah, just, it just so happened that the Mowgli's were uh, headlining all of these cool events and like every little pop up festival. It just so happened, which is great resume builder for a band yeah it was nice to go to people and be like just so you know we can throw our own festivals yeah we don't need you promoter we but don't if you, need you but if you're gonna help fund it please fund it <laughs> money. Oh, we God. don't need you but we we, we appreciate you yes yeah. also we need you <laughs> but that was Jen, I was actually going to make the uh, the same point because Jen and I are pretty close in age. I think we're only a couple of years apart, and I think we're like the generation right below you, Matt. Where, um, like, the way that you described like growing up in LA and going all to these little venues and seeing whoever you could see, I did that in high school as well. And I remember the Mowgli's very, very specifically when I was like a senior or junior in high school. And I would listen to you guys all the time because it's like, oh, it's a local LA band. And so this was maybe like 2012, 2013-ish. So like what you were describing earlier, like your band was part of that for me growing up in LA and discovering music We kind of got lucky in that sense where it's like we were from an area that already had some great music come out of it. And then once we finally got like our feet on the ground and actually had some better traction, people started thinking like oh another band from calabasas that's cool like (laughs) i was like we're not on par with incubus just so you know we're a little different but another band from calabasas well but you were halfway between calabasas and woodland hills so you're like halfway between incubus and uh religion (laughs) 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 but that was your legacy that's who you were growing up up you know you're growing out i was growing out thinking about his legacy just saying and and guys (laughs) really quick because we're actually getting near the end of segment one we told you this time was gonna fly bro uh quick sidebar i don't think scott can hear us scott is so jealous of us right now (laughs) i can't hear you i can't there was no music scene in long island new york while he was growing up so he's super jelly of us yeah we were just like going to see glass jaw you know we saw yeah Eh. No big. All right. Anyway, on that fun note, Depani, thank you. We're going to be thank back you. with Baldwin's Words with Ms. Emily Burke and Mr. Jed Fuchs, and we're going to get into some more Mowgli's and magic. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Waldman's Words. I'm Emily Burke, not Scott Waldman, but Scott Waldman is here, and yes, so is I Jed Fuchs. And- there he is. And our special guest, uh, Matt Depani. Yeah, 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 you're you're close enough. You're, you're I mean, I told yeah, Scott to pronounce it a certain way, but you can do whatever you want. Thank, thank you. <laughs> I feel honored. You should feel honored. <laughs> That's a big deal. So, what adjective would you use, Mister Matt, to describe the previous, the prior twenty three ish minutes of your life? Um. Exciting and overwhelming. I'll take them. I like that. But Matt, now we're going to move more into the modern era. Okay. Obviously, we need to talk about like the the crazy cool things that you've been doing with your life after 2011. And in fact, you've had a meteoric rise uh, and, you know, a storied history as a band. And I'm sure even more as an individual. So can we talk first about the Mowgli's? Like you guys blew up pretty big you know like and maybe it wasn't quick but it seemed quick to me yeah it was uh it it didn't seem quick to me so at least uh, at least we got that um yeah i guess from like the starting of the band from 2010 to like 2012 it was all on our own we were playing shows seven days a week working day jobs and then like like playing shows until sunrise we were in the burning man scene so like we would play these raves and stuff and then <laughs> i and then i'd go to work at 7 a.m after we played a 6 a.m set um and then in 20 i think it was 2011 we met our managers um at a battle of the bands the only battle of the bands we've ever done and 
then from there, we just started getting introduced to more and more people. And we met um, our, our former booking agent. And he also signed us to his record label, which was Photo Finish Records. And from 2012 on was where it, it really started. That, that That's when San Francisco became a single and started going places. And it actually took us on the road in 2012. We, we got out of just touring the West Coast and became a national touring band. Cool. When I, that's, photo, that's goes, man. I think of 303 and I fight dragons. <laughs> yeah, those were um, when photo finish was uh, working with Atlantic. I think those were like the two big ones. They also had like Anthony Green, I think, at that time, too. Yep. And, um, and be on the coast as well. Yeah. And that's yeah, that was during their Atlantic days. And we we got really lucky when we signed to Photo Finish because they were shifting out of their Atlantic deal and going to Island Def Jam. And we were the first band to sign to Photo Finish through the Island Def Jam deal. So when Photo Finish launched with Island, it was just here's our band, the Mowgli's. We have no one else. So we got very fortunate to have like the only push possible. So they put, they literally put all their eggs in, in one basket and said, we're going to push this band as hard as possible. And that led to everything that led to all the, like the late night performances that led to radio success and, you know, song placements, just the whole, the whole nine with it. So we got, we got very fortunate and lucky in that aspect. Well, you say luck, but as everyone will tell you, luck is just preparedness with time. You guys worked for it for years and you put yourself in that position and then yeah, those those, those early years definitely helped uh, build us up to a point where we were like, okay, we can do this. We just need a little more help. And yeah. we, were, we were just thankful that we got it. Yeah. You made yourself lucky. That, and we then tried. you guys got to do the gi- most gigantic things in the world. You guys have probably, now that you were festival legends, you know, now that you had already played so many festivals, you were like, put us on the festival circuit. Yeah, we I think it was 2013 to 2015. We were nonstop on the festival circuit. We were I mean, it started at like I think the like smallest thing we did, which ended up being one of the, my biggest memories was we did Lollapalooza in 2013. And, and we were on we were on the small stage. We played the BMI stage. And I, I just remember looking out at the crowd. There was probably like 10,000 people at the BMI stage. And then I turned around and looked behind the stage and the entire backstage area and the stage was filled with people. And even after that, because like, like I said, this is like one of my favorite festival memories. Later that day, we met, we met Perry Farrell and I was like, dude, thank you so much for having us at this festival. He was like, I need you to know. And this was at this time. He's like, I need you to know that no one has ever brought that many people to the BMI stage in the history of my festival. Yeah. Like, wow. Okay. Like you're telling me this. Yeah. This is like one of the first festivals I've ever played. So that's <laughs> like, cool. okay. The yeah. guy said it to you. Yeah. The guy told me the thing. It was pretty remarkable. Wow. Mr. Festivals. That's crazy. But and then you just kept rolling, man. I mean, you've you've launched into other bands as well, if I'm rec- seeing this correctly. Yeah, there were um, there's other things that have happened. I did a, a little side project. I don't think we're doing it anymore, but I did a project with uh, my friend Mason Musso from Metro Station. Uh, we, yeah, we have a Metro no Station. Yeah, and and him and I like we we write other stuff together and are always writing stuff and. We did a project called Rock Wall, which was kind of like a pop dance project, um, which didn't do anything, but it was a fun little outlet to have. And uh, yeah, like I said, I, I just continue writing with with him because it's it's really fun to do new things and try new stuff, you know. And then we all know that you're in this super world famous band, and that's all the people listening to this show actually want to hear about. But instead, we're going to ask you all about the last great thing you got going on. I want to hear more about how you and Scott met through uh, Battle of the Bands, this cartoon. Yeah, yeah. So my uh, my writing and producing partners in the animation portion of my life, um, Alisoon and Hunter. Um, Hunter introduced. Uh, me to Scott because Scott knows Hunter's uh, agent Brian 
and we just started talking about how we could incorporate Scott and and Emily and the whole the whole family there and the whole roster and everything and uh it just started blooming from there where like now we've been introduced to uh Hunter from AFI and he's come on and has been working with us on on producing and story ideas and it's just been a a fun ride meeting Scott I, I didn't know how many like mutual friends we had how many like people just all working together in this really small world that we all thought was fucking huge. So. Well, right, what's, what's, right. Wild, what's wild about that, and this is why we sometimes talk about this during segment two, the advice section, is that uh, how old are you, Mr. Matt? I'm 34. Okay, so I'm 39. So I imagine we know a lot of the same people because we were doing similar stuff at similar times. But you didn't hear and I didn't hear like, Oh my God, stay away from Matt. He's a shyster or, Oh my God, that's Scott Walden <laughs> murder your family. So that's just yeah. some advice that um, I would give. And I'm sure you would too, is be humble and be pleasant. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's something I, I tell people daily at this point. It's like, you never know who you're in the room with. You never know who knows who. And it's just, the smartest and really like the best thing for your soul to just be a good person when it comes to your business. There's no reason to ever screw anyone over. There's no reason to ever make anything a bigger deal than it already is. Just, just be nice to people, which is the, which is the Mowgli's mantra anyway, like be nice. There's no reason to be a dick. But you put like a punk aesthetic to it where it's like, shut the fuck up and be nice. Yeah, shut up and be fucking nice. Die. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Think no, no. Think the yeah. Message is more effective that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, I mean, this is exactly where we want to ask you for more advice. And can you speak a little bit more to like, you said we got lucky and we were in a position to be the only band and get all that attention. Well, you weren't just randomly lucky. You worked on it. You made yourself lucky. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. Like we we worked hard to to see if that luck that we were conjuring up was going to pay off at any point. Um, I, I do think that a lot of the a lot of the stuff that happened to us was like honestly right place, right time. Like the day we met our our agent, we played the Sunset Strip Music Festival. And he flew out from New York to see if he even wanted to to be our booking agent before he even wanted to sign us. And we played the worst show we've ever played. And <laughs> he he even he we got right off stage. He was there at the side of the stage and he goes, Yep, you're my band now. And I was like, Did you <laughs> did you see what that was though? Like, are you sure? There's eight people on stage missing a bunch of notes and singing really terribly in the heat. And he's like, "Yeah, you're you're the guys. We're we're good. We're going for this." Hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we, yeah, that. But see, to me, that was like an actual lucky moment where we had worked hard enough to even have someone fly from a different coast to come see us play the worst show ever, and yet there was still something there. Aw, see, hey, it worked. Some he saw your pretty faces out. and was like, "These idiots, they're mine." Yeah, exactly. And uh, he was—he's—he's he's been with—he uh, was with us up until last and end of last year. Yeah. Damn man! Now, just because you're such a polymath and just because you're such a multi-hyphenate, I want to touch on one of the last things I know that you do, which is also working as a tour manager. Yeah, I've—I I fell into that world. Cool, man. And I want to hear, you know, we don't can't do the whole show about it, but I want to hear a quick how you got into that and how it's treating you today with the pandemic. <laughs> God, we're renaming the pandemic. Cool. I mean, you've um, got to make it positive. Uh, we're because <laughs> it's already been critically panned. Wow. Uh, <laughs> how do we mute Scott? How do we get him out of here? <laughs> don't worry. Without um, just always know I can from my end. Okay, yeah, that, that's good to know. What the hell? Why is it always the best? Whenever someone introduces someone to a group of people, the person who is the nice introducer gets panned right. by everyone else. I'm not nice. <laughs> pond. Oh yeah, that's right. it's pond. It's 
on Pawnee. Yeah. But, <laughs> all right, let's get back so to the question. Did you why did you dive straight into tour managing and what's what's the status of that in 2020? Um so I tour management actually had always interested me to the point where when the Mowgli's were first starting to tour, I took on tour managing for them for free, which is something no one should ever do. <laughs> and um I, I really enjoyed it, but it was also a, a struggle to be in a band and tour manage, get on stage, get off stage. Like the, the whole thing was just too much. So I kind of stopped even thinking about that for many years. And then I think it was in 2019, we had a tour manager. Um, we were doing a tour with Jukebox the Ghost and we were sharing a tour manager. And he kind of pulled me aside one day and he was like, you like being on the road a lot. You like unloading and loading and stage management and all this stuff. He's like, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. So he put me in touch with with a buddy who works primarily with YouTube artists. And he and I, I just happened to be in L.A. at the the day they wanted to like sit down with me and talk. And they were like, look, we have these tours going on. These are rooms that are between 2000 and 5000 people. Is this something you'd feel comfortable tour managing? And I was like, well, is is it music? And they're like, no, I'm like, that's great. Because if there's one thing I don't want to do, actually, it's tour manage musicians again. Um, so, I, I, yeah, it's it's a nightmare. It's a crazy um, job. It's uh, your yeah. alarm clock and nag. Have fun. Yeah, that's why, like, with the the YouTube guys, they're they're such amazing people. And the tours I was doing with them, I mean, it's those are two guys getting on stage, and it's just like a projector and a video game console, and. Yeah. It was, you know, the the hardest part of my day was getting them to sign 700 posters every day so that they could give it to their fans. Um, but I, I really fell in love with that side of the touring, like especially in the YouTube world, because it was just down to earth, humble people. They know that they've been given this crazy opportunity to go from making videos in their garage about whatever the hell they're doing to running a corporation and a business now like these guys own their own touring company they're they're putting other youtubers on the road and you know run, running these really interesting tours and and different channels now and um i just fell in love with with working with this team because they're just they're so innovative and they're doing such different things in a live setting that i would have I, I would never think to do these shows to the point where like my my cousin in Boston, he's a, he's a fan of the guys that I tour managed. And after I had the interview, I called him and I was like, hey, do you know who these guys are? I have no idea who these people are, but they have like 12 million subscribers and like they're doing really well. He told me right away, he's like, take the job. Huh. And I was like, why? He's like, you will see once you get on the road that these guys are doing something different and you're going to see crowds and fans that have that will blow your mind beyond anything that you've seen on as a touring artist. Wait, can you name drop that? I'll, I'll tell you the yeah, I'll, I'll I'll name drop. It's okay. Um, they're they're called Game Grumps. Oh, uh, the biggest dude! Oh, you know the Game Grumps, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> oh, so cool! I do just yeah. have to say, if you are dating a man between the ages of eighteen and thirty, there's a giggle <laughs> of theirs that will haunt you in your sleep at night because it's the only thing you hear right before you go to bed. I'm 39. I've never heard of Game Grumps, but that doesn't mean anything because, again, I'm 39. But what I was thinking and was, you know, going to say is that it's a lot of people who do TM work sometimes aren't even into who they're tour managing for. So it's awesome that you're also a fan and you respect the art in addition to the stuff. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I when I had the interview with them, one of the first questions they asked was, do you know who we are? And I said, I have no idea who you people are. <laughs> and when I looked back on it, I had a conversation with, with uh, Aaron about it, Aaron from the Game Grounds. We were on, on the tour finally. And I was like, what did you think about that interview with me when, when I sat down? He's like, honestly, I, I don't even remember the interview except for the fact that you said you didn't know who we are. And as soon as you left, I told my manager, hire him 
<laughs> and I was like, wow, okay, I, I impressed you by not knowing you. He's like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the story we keep hearing from you, though. Yeah, it, it, it's weird. <laughs> Someone's just like, I don't know why, but I like him. Yeah, hey, I, I guess I have that energy. Weird. I think uh, it's well, also I, important because... Oh, I want Emily to oh, say Oh, sorry, that. I was just going to make no, a point uh, with the YouTubers. <clears throat> sorry. Uh, with the YouTubers, they're... I can't even say like 10 years ago now because 10 years ago was the first VidCon. So it was already a thing, but maybe 15 years ago, you know, someone says like, Oh, I'm going on tour with someone that makes video on the internet. Like no one will understand what the hell you're doing. Yeah. And now they're, like, those are people that are selling more tickets than musicians. Yeah, exactly. But this well. job didn't exist. That Joe yeah. girl is ginormous. That Miranda sings girl is big. Like all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But with no setup. But I just want to, I think we're, we don't have too much time left. So you also, I mean, you touched upon this briefly with songwriting, but in the age of COVID-19, you know, how are you modifying your, your career? Um, so with the Mowgli's it's, it's been interesting because we are all still distancing as much as we can. Um, Katie and Josh from my band, since they're married and they live together, they have been taking on a lot of the live streaming jobs that we have to do now. So we have um, we have started our own Twitch channel that I've I've been doing like, and, and this will be happening again almost weekly. I'm just going on and playing video games, honestly. Like I'm going on and and pointing the camera at me, pointing the camera at my at my TV, and kind of like doing retro video game playthroughs and things like that. Um, we're, we're just adapting in the sense where we're writing still. So we're sending voice memos and I try to send a demo uh, or a couple demos a week just to the band, a bunch of instrumental stuff. Our keyboard players doing the same. We are just finding ways to keep connected with people because um, we're finding that that's just the only thing you kind of can do right now is, there's no, there's no, you know, we canceled all our tours. There's no touring at all this year for us. And all we can do is keep our community together. We actually started working with a company called community, which is like a texting company. And there's a phone number, which, uh, I, sh- I should shout that number out, Go for um, it. but there is a, I'm, I'm pulling that number up now, so I don't <laughs> screw this up. Um, but there's a, um, yeah, the company's called community and like we've started this little community now where uh of course it has to update yeah great um (laughs) where we text our our fans that have the number and we go hey this is our schedule for the week we're doing these things come hang out with us and it's been working really well okay found the number by the way and it's an 818 number. Um, Hell yeah. So if, if anyone wants to chat and text with the Mowgli's, we respond to all these texts. Text 818-452-2490. And you may get a response from one Mowgli. You may get multiple responses because sometimes we don't know which ones we've responded to yet. Uh, but you will talk to a Mowgli. Um the other thing we started doing, honestly, we were using, uh, and we're going to do it as as much as possible. Um, we started our own match game show on Twitch, where we've been uh, pairing up with charities to support crew members and touring musicians. And it's honestly been like we've had guests every two weeks where it's like people from New Politics, the Griswolds. We had Lucius on. Uh, we just had a Griswold on this show literally a few oh, weeks you, ago. Yep. You had Chris. You had Chris on there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Chris is Chris is the homie. He was on the very first match the Mowgli's Twitch show that we did. Wow. Uh, and yeah, and like we're you know we're incorporating our fans by they can come into the Twitch. It's all through a Zoom call basically. So we push it to Twitch, and you're live with us, chatting with us in our in our houses. It's, wow. it's pretty pretty interesting what we're trying to accomplish right now hey man like you said you got to adapt so you have to adapt i like you for your music but i'd probably like you doing everything i appreciate that i'm not good at everything though (laughs) but you're pretty so it doesn't matter thank you side note what game are you playing on twitch right now um 
So last week I did Mario Kart strictly because that's just been such a, uh, that's like our go-to touring game. So it felt like even though I was playing the computer, I felt like I was playing the band. Um, (laughs) And then this week I'll be playing Super Smash Brothers. And then I think next week I'm just going to, I have the like Nintendo Switch, um, like virtual online retro stuff. So I kind of want to like go in there and play like some Kirby's Dreamland or something and just do something oh. different because because to me the the portion of my of me doing Twitch with the band is just to reflect on the fact that like number one I used to work in video games and number two like my nostalgia for video games is just something I love so much. Bro, I am so there. I am totally doing that. I'm pumped on this right now. You, yeah, I am enamored with you in immediately, <laughs> but especially now. Uh, and believe it or not, we're already coming to the end of segment two. <laughs> we're having two. It was like a sad. Bra, 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 it wasn't like a pop. <laughs> it's a, yeah, there we go. But we want to bring it all the way back around to your world famous, amazing band, the Mowgli's. You already dropped us like the cool story about Perry Farrell going up to you and be like, hey, like you're the best. You've never done this at my festival before. <laughs> so do you have another hot little nugget like that that you can drop on us? Another international tour or another great way someone met you that blew your mind and theirs? Um, wow. Okay. If I can, I guess I have to try I to mean, remember. <laughs> I mean, no pressure or anything, but maybe just what was most meaningful to you? What did you learn out on the road? And maybe how about this? If, if someone is a teenager in Calabasas saying, if he can do it, I can do it. What, what does he really need? What does they really need to know? What um, should they do? I, I think the best thing that someone can do if they're aspiring to want to be in a band that tours or go on the road or anything is just try to do it. Don't don't have any hesitation about it. Don't don't go into it thinking this is going to suck. Don't do any of that stuff. Just literally get out there, do any job you can to try to go further in the industry. Like so many people that I that I've worked with and so many crew members, everything they started at the bottom. That's where you have to start. You have to yeah. start somewhere. And I have friends that started as, you know, merchandise coordinator number four on an uh-huh. arena tour. And now they're running the whole merchandise system for, for arena bands. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you never know what door is going to open as long as you are kind to people, as long as you are nice to people and professional about your entire life. You, you can do any of this stuff. Well, Boom. we're going to, we're going to close this out now, but it's similar to the story of Emily Burke. Cause basically she was interviewing one of my old bands for, you know, a blog and then eventually became my intern and hourly assistant and then full time. And look at her now. She's an artist manager. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> look at me now. I'm look at her in my now. own house. Words in my pajamas speaking about you to wrap up the show anyway <laughs> let's call it a day <laughs> mr matthew thank you so much for joining us can you please let the people listening know how they can check you out on social media and your incredible band too sure um if you want to find my band we're uh at the mowgli's on instagram I think we're also at the Mowgli's on Twitter and on Facebook and uh, at twitch.tv slash the Mowgli's music, which is where you're going to find us most often. Now, if you want to find me, uh, you can find me at Matthew Mowgli on Instagram and at Matt DePani on Twitter. Dope. And in case you're a troglodyte, that's Mowgli's with a W. Mowgli's with a W and, uh, our, our band name is grammatically incorrect, but thankfully social media does not allow apostrophes. Ah, good. I like that. Yes. It's all good. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show today, man. Ladies Thank and you gentlemen, for having Matthew me. Dupani. So Yay! awesome to be here. Thank you guys. Appreciate you, bud. Appreciate you guys. <laughs>